You are listening to High Tube Talks, the official podcast of the AYF West. I'm Haig Minasian. And I'm Haru Bird. And we're just a couple of Armenians talking in the world. A couple of Armenians talking in the world. Welcome, Nighty. Thank you for talking with us today. Thank you for having me. Nighty, you and I went to Camp Hayastan for years together. Our moms did too. And uh, you've been an active AYF member of the Greater Boston Nizja chapter all your life since I've known you. Um, and uh, since then, you know, I've always known that you've been the biggest advocate for dogs as well, not just Armenia. And um, so it was no surprise when you were studying uh, animal science at UMass Amherst and biopsychology at Tufts that you began a project called Oknushun, great name, uh, back in 2017, in an effort to improve the situation for dogs and people in Armenia. And um, and I think anyone who's been to Armenia would agree that one of the first things we will notice is the abundant amount of dogs, stray dogs, we come across all over the country and how cute they all are. Um, but uh, So we wanted to talk to you today to educate us and talk about the dogs of Hayastan. Uh, so thanks again for being here, Nighty. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, Nighty, uh, it's Harut. <laughs> um, so one of the first things I wanted to ask you, and here, you know, at HiTube, we're generally really interested in, like, people's first impressions. So we're really curious, well, when you first went to Armenia, what was your first impressions of just the dog vibe around? So I was, the first time I went to Armenia, I was in fifth grade. So I was very young, and mm. I definitely had like rose colored glasses on and I was like this is such a magical place I love it so much like that was my last year of Armenian school so I had like learned about this place for all these years and it was so cool to see it um but at that point I honestly being a little kid just thought it was like really cool that there were dogs always all over the place Mm -hmm. um but when I went back as an adult, I, I went back in 2016 for the second time. Um, there was a lot of like, you know, I saw everything very differently, understanding better, like just the struggles that there are and the social issues, economic, political, everything. And um, as an adult, seeing all the dogs, first of all, it made me sad because like they don't have a home, they don't have consistent care and food and stuff like that but second of all like from a public health standpoint I was like this is terrible like mm. um they're they're not safe they're not well taken care of but also they're a potential vector for disease to spread through the community they can be dangerous they're not trained um obviously they're street dogs mm. and um I was like they're as fun as it is to be able to like have dogs all around you whenever you're walking around um it's like very disturbing and bothersome and especially I know some people from other parts of the U.S. and other countries are used to that but in the northeast like we don't have any stray dogs so it was like a big culture shock for me for sure and was this um when you went to Hayastan that time where you noticed this was this mainly in Yerevan is this something you experienced all over Armenia um it was both um that trip was a pretty short trip so we kind of just went to all like the major tourist hot spots um and then otherwise we're in Yerevan and so that's where I noticed it um usually when we went to like a specific tourist area like there was a few dogs that kind of like had 
their like territory around the area. Um, but in Yerevan, I also noticed it was really, really bad. Mm. So, like, from as an Armenian American, I mean, we have this culture about dogs here, where you know they're treated more superiorly than human beings at this point. Um, it, it is weird to see or go to another country and them not share that same affinity and love uh, for dogs. Uh, and so, uh, you know, how do you think, I mean, is it purely cultural? How did we get to this point where there are so many stray dogs in Hayastan, would you say? Yeah, I think the, the major issue is just a mix of overbreeding by kind of unethical or uneducated breeders, as well as just the amount and the use of working dogs in the more rural areas and the fact that they're kind of loose and off leash and allowed to just um, reproduce. And, you know, these mothers have puppies and they're not spayed or neutered. And then those puppies have more puppies and it just escalates. Um, And there's also um, not much of a culture around spaying and neutering uh, pets. So, you know, one male dog that like runs out the front door and escapes for a few hours has an opportunity um, to impregnate a female or more mm-hmm. than one female and create a lot of puppies. So are a lot of these dogs from the rural areas kind of coming into Yerevan, let's say, is that like the migration pattern? Um, I'm not really sure, and yeah. there's not a lot of data around this, but it seems so. Or maybe at one point. so you know. many of them are like shepherd mixes. And it makes sense that those would be coming from the more rural areas because those are the type of working dogs that exist out there. No, that makes sense. Is there any group of Armenian dogs that, apart from, like, say, you know, rich, fancy people having, like, pet dogs in Armenia, I mean, like, hunting dogs or dogs that help take care of the gule a little bit. Is there groups that, you know, treat their dogs better than, like, a typical um, Armenian dog family? Owner, yeah, yeah, dog owner in Armenia. Um. So there are actually a few um, like breed specific organizations that I don't know if they actually like hold competitions, but I've seen like their signs and stuff, um, especially for Gampas, which are like the, the like, I guess like ethnic Armenian dogs. Yeah. Um, and the culture around like pets, especially in Yerevan has grown a lot. So those people are quite like they do take really good care of their pets. But it's kind of funny. They don't see the parallel between their dog and the dog on the street, even mm. though that's the same species. A lot of us go there. We see the dogs on the street and we like think of our pets and we feel bad. But for them, it's like my dog is a husky. He's a purebred dog. He's good. That dog is a gross dog. I don't care about that <laughs> dog. <laughs> and know. it's funny. Even um, my employee has said like people have made comments to him about our Oknushun dogs and ask like what breed she is and he says like she's a mixed breed and they're like oh no she can't be she's so clean and well behaved like they truly Mm -hmm. believe that mixed breed dogs inherently cannot be clean or trained interesting um nighty are there other than the gamper are there other common breeds in armenia that are not necessarily like native but like are common in general that you've noticed maybe they're all very mixed at this point but i'm curious if there's a handful that are just way more common in Armenia than other dogs? Yeah, I would say the the biggest thing is just any type of shepherd, you know, 
mm-hmm. pretty much like tons of different countries have their own like shepherd quote unquote yeah. um, obviously the German shepherd is the most popular one yeah. that we know of yeah, I've seen a bunch but there. a lot of dogs that kind of look like a German shepherd or some sort of mix of a German shepherd those are the most popular because Armenia is an agricultural country mm-hmm. and those are the dogs that people need and use other than that in the city I would say Huskies and Pomeranians are super popular I see them everywhere and of the purebred dogs that people buy, those are probably the two most popular that a lot of people have. No, I mean, I've been seeing in recent years people starting to own uh, purebreed dogs that, you know, obviously aren't from the streets. And it's a shame because there's so many street dogs in Armenia. Um, I've seen uh, the, the gampers and the bigger sheep dogs in the villages kind of living freely. So it makes sense that, you know, they're a little bit more free to kind of roam around and, uh, and then, you know, there's not, it's harder to maybe control that population out there and in the city. Um, I mean, so how, what are the kind of processes or the programs right now to like, uh, I don't know, uh, help control the population because there are some pretty dark things that Armenia has done to like help control the population. And it might just be a very common thing around the world. Could you enlighten us a little? Uh, yeah. So right now, well, first of all, there are the rescue groups. The biggest two are Dingo and Positive. And these groups, nothing much has changed over the years. They're awesome, and they've been consistently awesome. Great. Um, and they work really hard on rescuing uh, puppies or injured or very sick animals. They don't have the bandwidth or the resources to rescue like any dog that is on the street, but they take the ones that need care and they care for them and rehabilitate them. Um, they work really hard when they have the funds come in to spay and neuter the, the dogs that they have. Um, so that has been going on for a while, but that's kind of not in us when it's such a big issue. Yeah. Uh, but then in terms of on a more like organized governmental scale, um, most of Armenia is still not much has changed. But in Yerevan, fortunately, um, starting in 2019, they started a spay-neuter program. Nice. So before 2019, there was another group that was like contracted by the government to manage the dog population. They did a really bad job. They often didn't return dogs to where they were from if they did spare neuter neuter them. But most of the time, they weren't spaying or neutering. They Uh were just killing. Uh, Um, They had really unethical methods. And they've actually been, I believe, they, like, went through court hearings and um, incurred a fine since then. Uh, Not for the way they treated the animals, even though that was pretty bad because there are no laws to punish that in Armenia. But they've been punished for money laundering and not like reporting correctly and using the funds incorrectly. Interesting. Um, so that was, thankfully those people are gone. And now there's a group called the Stray Dog Center that has partnered with the Yerevan municipality that is doing um, stay and neuter. And they're the ones that are ear tagging all the dogs. So if you've been to Armenia and you've seen those dogs with ear tags, that means that they were um, spayed or neutered by that group. Interesting. I, you know, that was something I, I did want to ask you is the whole like dog tag or even like ears being removed in Armenia. It's something you see all the time over there and not really understanding it, you know, coming from the West. Do you mean like the green tags that they have on the ears and stuff? Or like that I've also seen their ears like completely gone. Well, I, yeah. What is that, Nighty? When you see like a dog with the ears cut off, that's not anything to do with the neutering and whatever, right? Um, usually, uh, in general, around the world, not just in Armenia, uh, 
ear cropping is for kind of like it's mostly a stylistic thing. Oh, it if is. it's a working dog, it can be for like practical occupational purposes in terms of like not getting infection and not getting caught on things. But it has become a breed standard for a lot of breeds, so mm. people just feel the need to do it. Um, there's additionally always a danger around the world. Again, this is not an Armenian-specific thing, and I don't know if this happens in Armenia. But um, people who steal dogs, they need to like get rid of the identification. Oh. Um, and a lot of nowadays, most of our dogs have microchips. But in the old days, people had tattoos on their dogs, mm. and a lot of them would put them in their ears. And then people would steal them and cut their ears off so that the tattoo mm. was gone, which is why tattooing in the ears kind of phased away and it moved to other parts of the body that couldn't be like removed so easily. I, and then now in most of the developed world, um, we use microchips instead. Uh, I, I, when we were talking about this, though, I think I, I remember hearing someone out there saying that it's like the gumper or whatever, the one that the sheepdog is protecting against the wolves. That's why they cut off the ears. But maybe they were telling us that as like a way to like t make us like okay with what they were doing and they weren't telling us the real reason. Who knows? Right, I'll yeah. Gumpers, like, um, yeah, in general, you don't want anything such as an ear that's easy for like a prey, a predatory animal to grab onto and hurt your animal with. Um, additionally, they're living in kind of not as clean conditions mm. and ears are a great place for infection and your dog to get sick. Mm. So, you know, the ones that are working, it kind of makes sense uh, to like maybe dock their tails or cut their ears. But again, it becomes a stylistic thing where people who have them in the city and they're not working still do it. Yeah. Just like a Great Dane, honestly. Yeah. Seen great Dane. I've seen it. Yeah. Most people here crop their ears. Mm. Well, I, I want to go real back. Uh, real fast back to the, the neutering policies, but actually before that, so just to clarify, there is no law against like animal murder and abuse in Armenia. Like if you kill a dog, it's uh, there's no penalty, right? As of right now, from what I know, um, there's no um, like national law against it. Um, as is the case with many developing countries, there are protections for, like, working animals and pets as property. Um, you know, you can't steal someone's property or damage their property, and animals are property. So if you, you know, damage someone's dog or steal their dog, um, you can get punished for them as property, but not as, like, a sentient uh, a, a being life, that you're yeah. harming. Well, what is it here um, in America? In, in the United yeah, yeah. What's the law here in America, though? Um, yeah, in America, there's... Um, animals are still, in a sense, protected as property because they do belong to people. And if you, like, for instance, killed someone's dog, you have to compensate them for, you know, that property that you ruined. Mm. But in America, beyond that, there is pretty extensive, and it depends on the state, um, animal welfare laws mm. about causing, um, like, undue stress, harm, you know, abuse, in terms of injury, neglect yeah. and abuse yeah. and certain... Um, Certain, they're they're not considered rights um, for animals, but they're uh, they're called the freedoms. You know, freedom mm -hmm. from hunger, freedom from pain, and things like gotcha. that. That you have to keep animals safe from those things, or you can be prosecuted. I gotcha. And then, um, could you tell us a little bit about like for many of us who may, might not know, like you know, what is the the spaying and neutering process like? Like, what does that entail? A little bit more in detail. Like you find a dog, yeah. You, know, <laughs> you take him to a room. Yeah, <laughs> so spay neuter. Um, you know, it's 
spaying and neutering is kind of the most basic surgery, the first surgery that every vet student learns. Um, neutering is much, much easier and much cheaper. Um, when I did my shadowing at a uh, shelter here in Boston, um, you know, these vets, they span neuter all day, every day, and neuters were taking about, I would say, five to six minutes per neuter. So they get through that very quickly. It's very easy. Spays take a little longer um, and are more expensive because they're longer. They require more anesthesia and because they're a little more invasive in terms of the body, if you know how the reproductive system works. Um, but uh, if there's like a choice, often people might choose to just neuter and not spay. It's like, you know, if say a shelter can't afford to do both um it's cheaper and easier to just neuter and then you know that none of your girls can get pregnant if your boys are all neutered um and so the process mm. of what's often called the tnr program trap neuter release which is what's kind of going on in armenia now is you take stray animals you mark where you took them from you neuter them or stay them and you bring them back it's really important to bring them back where they're from because animals kind of have a territory that they cover mm. and if you m remove an animal others will just come fill the space yeah. so you don't want to leave that void uh, additionally they kind of have their own social structure among the, the stray animals in Armenia so you know you want to put them back not only so they're around the other animals they know but often a lot of these stray dogs in Armenia have people that know them that live near them that feed them and so um, you want to bring that dog back to kind of their person. It's not a real owner, true owner, but the person that kind of makes sure that yeah. they're okay and fed and stuff like that. Yeah, that makes sense. So, Knight, why do you think in Armenia they don't um, practice some of these, you know, animal hygiene things? Or, like, why is it taking so long for them to get into it or, like, to understand it? It's just an education issue? Um, I would say the biggest thing is resources. Um, and... Basically, animal welfare kind of progresses at the same pace as all the other kind of social programs in a country. Um, it's, it's hard to fight for animal welfare programming when, you know, you have people in the LGBTQ community, women, different groups of people in the country that aren't even treated, you know, fairly or getting the resources they need. And so animals kind of tend to come last on the list. Um, the thing that I try to, you know, really stress when I'm speaking with people in Armenia so they understand that this is not just an animal problem, it's a public health problem. And so it shouldn't, you know, go at the end of the list because it is something that affects the people. Um, yeah. But yeah, often kind of animal care things come last on the list as a country is developing programming. And then at the last is is one of the last parts of like the the let's say the TNR program is that when they attach that ribbon or that thing on top of their ears like I've seen in Armenia uh, more recently I think but I've seen it in Georgia as well where they put like a green tag on their ears is that part of this TNR neutering and releasing uh, process? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So while the while the dog is asleep, you basically just like pierce their ear, put the tag in. Um, it gives them an ID number, so if for some reason you have to go back and recollect the dog, if you start a vaccine program or something like that and you're doing regular check-ins, you can find the dogs and identify them by the number on their ear tag. And, Nighty, do you happen to know if, like, the where they, you know, essentially round up the dogs and, you know, massacre them and put them in these uh, holes in the villages? I mean, does that's the the... the 
Do the killings of the dogs still happen in the rural areas? Because I know in two, from 2015 to 2017, so not that long ago, um, you know, t- over 10,000 dogs were put down, you know, in these like night raids, essentially. Is this still a thing since 2019 and these new laws, maybe? Um, yeah, as far as I know, you know, Yerevan is the only place that kind of has developed this more up-to-date system with the TNR. Um, and everywhere else is kind of on its own in terms of the people in the community doing what they can to not let the population get out of control. And so a lot of that is culling, which is something that is done in a lot of places around the world with uh, wildlife, such as wolves or coyotes. Um, where people in the community who have guns, there's a certain time that's set for, you know, children and, you know, all the normal citizens to go inside so that they're safe and the people with the guns go out and do the shooting so that they can kind of at one time get rid of as many animals in this population as possible. And um, I know in the past few years, it was, since Dogs of Gumni has started, which is recent, there was one really bad case in Gumni um, where it happened at like nine in the morning while children were walking to oh, school, yeah. um, which is obviously extremely dangerous because people shouldn't be shooting guns out in public when people are walking around. And is also like psychologically really traumatizing yeah. you know, for people to see that, to see the animals being killed and lying on the ground and kind of bleeding to death. Yeah, no, that's. I remember hearing that too. Actually, I mean, the it's uh, whenever we were we had do- like me and my friends, they would have a dog. We'd be walking around the Yerevan, and like I don't know the the kids, they would be kind of afraid at first. Like instead, like they they see the dogs on a leash, they see that it's friendly with us. But the first thing they'd ask, you know, is it going to bite me? Is it scary? Is it this? I mean, uh, are these dogs on average like that a uh, random kid would come across on the street? Are they aggressive? Or are they in defense mode? Or are they generally pretty chill? Because most of the time, I don't know how to, if you've seen a dog, they pretty, they're pretty cool. Like they come up to you, they'll ask for food. They're very nice. In Armenia? Yeah. Like I was. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, every time I'm over there, there's always street dogs in like the most random places. It seems like wherever you stop by. But it's funny Mm -hmm. how, like, people in Armenia, if you're with somebody, they'll be like, yeah, don't touch that dog. Don't go near that dog. But Nighty, is that, like, out of fear of being bit or just dirtiness? Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, it really depends on the dog. But even more so, it really depends on the situation. I mean, if you're walking by a person on the street and you approach them threateningly and make them feel unsafe, they might attack you, too. Yeah, exactly. So I think people need to keep in mind... One of the most important things that we try to do with Oksushun when we visit schools and stuff and speak to children is to kind of go through the basics of dog body language and appropriate ways to approach an animal. Um, because you'll hear a lot of stories of people having bad experiences. Um, and all the time that I've been in Armenia, and you know me, I pretty much kind of approach and get pretty close to every dog I see, at least just to see what kind of dog they are, get a picture of them and stuff. And I've never had any incidents. So I think most of those incidents are caused by a person unintentionally threatening the dog and making them feel unsafe. Um, Most of the dogs I find in Armenia that I've been around are pretty docile. And, you know, they're probably more scared of us than we are of them. Um, Many of them may have had a bad experience with a person and that can affect the way they interact with people. And so the best thing to do is if you're not sure and you don't feel safe is to just keep your space 
Um, but another tip I would say is if you feel like you're, you're close and you're not sure what to do, don't start running because it's kind of natural for a dog to chase, chase if someone yeah. is running. Um, and that's just kind of going to incentivize them to chase you. They yeah. might think it's kind of a game. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like good life and advice in general. Yeah. In general with, <laughs> with whoever it is, with any animal, with any person. So tell us a little bit more about like the goals, the work, the project you do for Oknotun. What a, what a great name, by the way. I love it. <laughs> I'm yeah. the, it's uh, Oknotun and Shun. Wow, genius. <laughs> yeah. So with Oknotun, our main focus was to improve the relationship between dogs and people in Armenia. And the way that I thought we could best do that was by showing people how awesome a rescued street dog could be. Um, so we trained Dobby. She's Armenia's first and only uh, certified therapy dog. Nice. Um, we had we had developed our own curriculum, but within our curriculum, um, we use the uh, theoretical kind of classroom curriculum of the Pet Partners Organization, which is a really popular one here in the Eastern U.S. Um, our handler, you know, had to pass their test. Um, and then the remainder of our program kind of integrates uh, the requirements of Pet Partners and Therapy Dog International, which are two major groups that start, um, register a lot of the therapy dogs in the U.S. And so um, we, uh, Dobby was a rescue from the street. We adopted her from Dingo. And um, she, her and Harach at the end of 2019 passed their exams. Um, and started doing uh, canine-assisted interventions um, with uh, different groups of people. Unfortunately, soon after they started, COVID hit. So we kind of went virtual. Uh, then the war happened. So it's been a little bit of a mess uh, in yeah. terms of our timing. Um, but Dobby visits a lot of different groups of people, different vulnerable populations, people with disabilities. Um, and we also focus a lot on education and visiting groups, especially young people and children um, to teach them about animal welfare and, you know, to use Dobby as an ambassador for rescue dogs, you know, kind of the potential they have and what they can be. Right. You're you're showing, you know, that these stray dogs have a value in society that they can actually help people and make people, make people feel better and et cetera. Um, And, and, and you're like helping, uh, you know, create a culture there behind uh, looking at dogs in a different light. So I love it because we have a number of, you know, great uh, shelter and other nonprofits in Armenia working on helping the dogs currently. But what Oknishun is trying to do is like uh, get at the root of the problem, like the, the core cultural uh, situation, you know, and, and I love it. And, and when you're going to these, um, these uh, orphanages or, you know, different places, uh, vulnerable populations, uh, are you guys collecting like information and data and like, you know, uh, uh, while you're doing that? Um, we haven't yet. Uh, we, I kind of like set up the infrastructure for it. Uh, my senior year of college, I did an independent study in the occupational therapy department, mm. um, and kind of created plans for that. Um, but we haven't had the chance to like bring a researcher on board, um, I'm hoping uh, I actually recently decided to leave that school and pursue something more related to canine assisted interventions and animal assisted interventions in general. 
And um, I'm kind of figuring out what kind of graduate degree I'm going to switch to 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 explore that further. But whatever I choose will hopefully have a research component so that, um, you know, vet school didn't really allow me time to be doing Mm -hmm. like additional research on this side. But whatever I do moving forward, hopefully will so that we can get more into uh, impact measurement to be able to say like, this, this is the impact we're having. You know, we know we're having an impact. We can see it. And the people tell us, um, they, they always want Dobby to come back and they love her. But, you know, from a science perspective, the more literature we can prepare about this, um, the more, you know, people will really believe it. Um, and, you know, this is an area actually, this is not an Armenian specific thing. This is just an area that really lacks scientific literature. And if we can put Armenia at the forefront of it, that would be really awesome. Hell yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, we'll definitely bring you back once you write that dog of Armenia book, the dog of Armenia book. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, okay. So Nadi, cause I was out there one of the summers with you when you were uh, working on Oknushun. Um, I remember you telling some stories about like, uh, could you tell us some examples of like, times where you got really frustrated or some of the challenges you came across while you're trying to do your work out there with, uh, uh, with, your, with the dogs in Oknushun? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a lot of challenges. It's been a kind of rough road and it has not gone at all. You know, if you asked me when I started what it would look like in five years, yeah. I've ended up on a completely different path, yeah. but I just kind of had to learn from my mistakes as I went and adjust. Um, I would say one of the biggest challenges for me has actually been, you know, there's definitely cultural differences and challenges working with people who are born and raised in Armenia because we have different perspectives. Um, But it's actually some of the people I've worked with from the diaspora that have been the hardest to work with um, because there's this kind of view that, you know, Armenia is almost like this fake country where you can come and do whatever you want and you don't really need the expertise to do it and no one really knows any better, so you can just yeah. do whatever. Um, I'm a huge advocate for, you know, people bringing um, their knowledge base to Armenia and helping Armenia, but in the areas that, you know, they're trained and educated in. And, you know, I had people who wanted to play a big role in Oknushun and be handling the dogs and doing stuff when they had no experience with animals. And that was really frustrating to see that people think they can just lower their standards for Armenia. Uh, Just like I said about the research, I want Armenia to be on the forefront of this. I want Armenia to have the gold standard of canine assisted interventions. I want people from other countries to look at us and say, we want our program to be like Oknushun. Um, And that's really difficult to convince people of. At the beginning, I wanted Okushun to run with actual shelter dogs who stayed and lived at the shelter. Um, And I started training three dogs at one of the shelters to, you know, be our therapy dogs and have like the, the shelter employees be the handlers. And I, you know, Mm. thought that I could make that work. But at the end of the day, those people are super busy they really don't have the time to focus on the dogs the way I wanted them to. They kind of just, you know, when I explained to them what the exam was and the standards they had to reach, they were kind of like, well, we we don't have to reach those standards. You know, it's Armenia. Mm. And, you know, I was very adamant that 
you know, I did need to adjust things. Things can't be exactly like they are in America because it's a different country. And so we need to be um, aware of the differences and adjust accordingly. But that, you know, we weren't going to put the children or the dogs that we're working with at risk because the dogs aren't properly trained um, and they're not, you know, clean and vaccinated and all of that. And so that's when I kind of decided to change the model to we actually adopt a dog as an organization and hire a full time employee and our dog lives in a home with that person um, and works with them. Speaking of a dog that lived with lives with you. um so before Dobby, who's the cutest dog, and if you guys are wondering why it's called Dobby, it looks like Dobby, the elf from uh, Harry Potter. Uh, there was a dog named Chaco, right? I didn't get the name wrong, right, Nadia? It was Chaco? Chaco? Yeah. Yeah, Chaco. All right. So uh, I, whenever, I, I think it was 2018 summer, uh, I lived in this house with you guys, with the Oknushun people and the dog and doggy named Chaco. And Chaco didn't end up becoming a therapy dog, probably because of me, because <laughs> I, I, I've never yeah. lived with <laughs> I don't know, Nadia, would you say that? Um, because I never lived with a dog and I, maybe I was uh, interrupting the regiments and stuff. Who knows? Um, dog, uh, but so could you tell us why? Chaco uh, didn't live up to being maybe a therapy dog. You know, how did that, let's say, go awry? How did Haig mess that up? <laughs> and then I, Chaco's in Montreal now, right? Like, uh, it's been adopted and Chaco's chilling, having a great time. Yeah. yeah. Chaco's adopted and he lives in Montreal. But um, this is actually a really important thing to touch upon. And another challenge I had trying to work with the shelters, you know, they had certain dogs that they really wanted to be therapy dogs and they were kind of that that those dogs were going to do therapy work whether they like it or not (laughs) and um it's very very important for any working dog in any sphere that the dog enjoys the work Mm -hmm. um it's not only an ethical issue where you really shouldn't be forcing an animal to do something they don't enjoy but it's a safety issue you know a dog that is frustrated and stressed out is not a safe dog it's a dog that's liable to bite or scratch or lash out and So putting an animal in a situation that they're not comfortable in is not something we ever want to do. And it really stinks because Dobby was our fifth dog. And that's a lot of time and effort and money to put in and have to turn dogs away. Um, But at the end of the day, you need a dog that loves the work. And Taco was just not a dog that loves strangers and new people. He really, really loved, you know, those of us that took care of him and were close to him. Um, But when I started trying to try him out at different places and meet new people, he was very stressed out, very Mm -hmm. agitated and clearly uncomfortable. Um, And I knew that this is not something I wanted to do to him. And this was not a position I wanted to put him in or cause any risk. Um, It's something I struggle with to this day because um, I know one of the dogs that I tried to train at a shelter at the beginning that ended up not becoming a therapy dog. Um, she really didn't enjoy it either. And again, mm-hmm. we do a lot of work with like dog body language and understanding how they feel. And, um, you know, the first year of Okushun, I actually had those dogs going to a center for children. And I was, you know, collecting photos and videos to see how it was going. And she looked really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And that's something that always, you know, I carry with me. And I remember that when I train the new dog, it really needs to love the work. Um, I mean, so does it help to train a dog when they're younger, like puppy age? Is that that a thing? Yes, absolutely. 
just like people, animals yeah. have a critical period of neuroplasticity, and you're going to be able to teach them the most in that amount of time. The younger you get them, the easier it is. That's one of the challenges of working with rescue dogs. You know, you're not breeding them and raising them from the day they were born. Uh, yeah. Dobby, we didn't get until she was about six months old, and so that was a challenge. Um but again, it comes down to a lot more personality than anything else. And if they have it in them to be a therapy dog, the training is much more just being regimented and, you know, having the right person train them and work with them. Mm. So, uh, I mean, Oknushun right now, so you guys have Dobby and you guys are still taking around uh, helping people. I mean, are, are you guys, uh, do you guys have plans for a second dog or what, what is, uh, what's the plan moving forward right now? Um, yeah, update us. Yeah. So there aren't any immediate plans right now. Mm -hmm. Um, the next set of dogs that we would get, uh, one dog or at this point, I think what we would do is probably get a few and start raising them together so that, you know, if we look at our past in the 20% success rate, <laughs> instead of raising one dog at a time, yeah. we can raise a few. And then the ones that don't work out, we can adopt out and then use the ones that do. Um, it's just, it's going to be a big jump in terms of our like organizational structure, our staffing and our funds. Mm -hmm. um, and it's something that I'm looking to do more once in a few years down the line, once I've, expanded my education in the area of animal assisted interventions nice. um and a little bit more on a therapy level so if you notice i say canine assisted interventions i don't say dog therapy mm. because um there's actually different types of animal assisted interventions and actual mm. dog therapy is something that has to be done with a medical professional or a therapist i see um and so our handler is not that so what he's doing is actually canine assisted interventions mm. specifically canine assisted activities um so the next thing i would love to bring about in armenia um when we add staffing is to have actual potential psychologists social workers or mm. occupational therapists something like that um staff on our staff so we can do actual canine assisted therapy because that doesn't exist in Armenia yet and that is something that I think people could really benefit from and is the third type of or like not the third type but there's also service dogs right that we see here in America that help people with like that are blind or that have this or that we do we have anything like that in Hayastan too or not yet either no there are as far as I know unless somewhere remote someone trains their own service dog mm. uh, there are no service dogs in Armenia and there are no laws protecting service dogs in Armenia whereas like in the US and Europe you know service dogs are protected to go wherever their owner goes yeah. um, in Armenia nothing like that exists um, if we could create programs for people to get service dogs in Armenia that would be amazing but a service dog, you know, even for the, the patient that is going to utilize them is a really big responsibility and a very large financial burden. So I think more research would have to be done into how feasible yeah. and useful ser service dogs would be for people in Armenia. Gotcha. So, Nani, I'm curious, um, how do you feel about the adoption, the dog adoption process when it goes from Armenia to America, like when somebody brings a gomper from Hayastan to America? Um, okay, well, when someone brings a gomper, that's a little different because that's oh. not really adoption. Uh, that's a Ooh. red dog. But 
when it comes to adopting from the rescues in Armenia, um, I, you know, we adopted Chaco out to Canada. Um, and I know several dogs in the U.S. that were adopted from Armenia. I don't think it's a long-term solution. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's nice for a family who is Armenian to kind of get to feel that connection with their country and adopt a dog from Armenia. And, you know, on an individual basis, it's, it's great for that dog. And it helps the shelters, you know, get more dogs out of, you know, their space, which they need to do. And, mm. and they really struggle at kind of getting people in Armenia to adopt. So they rely heavily on um, international adoption. But I think, you know, the major fix for Armenia is going to be the spay-neuter programs and changing the culture so that people in the country are adopting um, dogs from the shelters instead of buying purebred dogs. Yeah, and, you know, specifically about gompers, though, I'm curious to know, because when we know it's a huge dog. You know, when it comes to America, is there any type of, I don't know how to put this, where the dog feels like it's not at home or something? I've seen them in Glendale. Like, I see people bring Gamper. I've seen a few here, I think. Is it right? Is it ethical? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess, to me, I don't see it necessarily being unethical. It does depend where the person lives and the life. You know, a Gamper is a working dog that needs extensive energy and attention and if you know you live in an apartment for example that's not a good place for them so you want the people that are ending up with these dogs you know have the right lifestyle and the capability to take care of the dog the way that it needs to be taken care of Mm -hmm. um i don't see anything wrong with them you know wanting to have the kind of armenian dog breed um i believe there's also actually people in california who are now breeding yeah, the dog there so that, that they sense. don't need to be brought. Um, one ethical issue that could arise is uh, flying dogs is can be really dangerous. The dogs go underneath the plane with the luggage. And, you know, if someone is, like, bringing puppies over as small puppies, that can be really dangerous for them. When we uh, shipped Chaco, we went through a long list of kind of Things to make sure that he was safe in terms of his body weight, his age, the length of his nose, um, the insulation, you know, a dog that's really thin, like a greyhound or a dog that's under a year old or a dog like a pug that doesn't breathe as well because of the way that his face is shaped. Those are not good dogs to be sending. And those people are trying to make money by selling dumpers young because you can always make the younger they are, the more you can sell them for. Um, if people are bringing them over as really small puppies, that is an ethical issue and that can be dangerous. That makes sense. And then, Nadia, a few years ago or when I was in Armenia last, I think maybe because it was COVID, but there was limitations on bringing dogs into the United States and adopting dogs uh, from abroad. Uh, did you happen to know what the most up-to-date situation is in terms oh, of flight? Oh, yeah. I literally, I completely forgot about that. Yes. Um, I ha- I don't know if there is an update on this um it happened um i believe it happened in either in 2020 or 2021 um it it wasn't actually specifically covid related it was a fda decision um and the reason for it was rabies concern and so a list of countries was published from which dogs could not be brought to the u.s because of rabies concern and armenia was on the list um, I remember this being a big issue. A lot of the 
shelters were very concerned because they rely on American adopters. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that, like, when that came out, um, I remember I actually read it, um, and I had a friend who was doing her internship at the FDA, so it was interesting to hear her perspective. And the uh, publicly they said, you know, this is going to be indefinite. This won't change until a new rule is made. And I actually asked my friend who is working at the FDA, um, you know, in like the veterinary sector. And she said from her supervisor and the meetings they had had, there was really not a plan for it to be changed in the near future. Hmm. Okay. So, uh, but I know like, I don't know, let's say you're from Canada or Europe, you guys, I think you could still adopt. So uh, we should all still work to get them. Uh, if, if you're from those countries and you could get them uh, adopt a dog, you should still do it, I guess. Uh, but a uh, 90 what are some other ways uh, diaspora Armenians can help the situation out there uh, in terms of uh, the doggies, the shunigs? Yeah, I mean, the best thing I would say you can do is support the organizations that are working on the ground. Um, your dollar goes a lot farther uh, in Armenia than it would in the U.S. So if you really care about, um, you know, helping animals, your your donation can go a really long way if you give it to an Armenian animal welfare organization. Um, and when you come to Armenia, I would say just, you know, make it a point that if you do see people being cruel to their animals, to step up and say something and, you know, make it clear that that's not acceptable. And that not only is not acceptable, but it reflects really poorly on Armenia when people from other countries see ethnic Armenians and Armenian nationals treating animals that way and it makes them think you know not good things about the country um you know there's a lot of things in armenia where the culture needs to change and the only way it's going to happen is you know for people to be more exposed to people from other places and learn you know what are things that people accept and what are things that they don't in treatment of you know people and animals and so if we can do more um, to teach people that, that's awesome. Um, if you're looking to spend some time in Armenia, uh, you know, we take interns and volunteers. We love to have them. And I know many of the shelters do as well. Um, we're like registered with Birthright. Uh, so if you do a Birthright or ABC internship, you can, you know, do it with Oknushun and you can do it with any of the shelters. If you're looking for, you know, real, like, on-the-ground shelter experience, like feeding and cleaning and stuff like that, uh, you can definitely get that with the shelters, and that's, that's help they desperately need. And then, Nighty, um, a little bit more about your background. Um, you know, when did you, like, realize that, uh, one, this was your passion, um, and two, like, where you uh, had that realization that you wanted to connect this to Hayastan? Yeah, I guess um, kind of the connection to Hayastan came first. I knew I wanted to do something there. Um, and then after spending time there and learning what the issues were, uh, at first I thought I would just do stuff with the shelters and like helping taking care of dogs. But when I saw that it was a really more cultural issue um, and I saw that there was a need for animal-assisted interventions, Um, That's when I decided to kind of take this path. And it was really, like, honestly, kind of like a side project for me. I was in college when I started it. Um, 
And then it kind of derailed my whole life because I fell in love with it so much (laughs) that I actually decided it's kind of what I want to do with my life and decided to leave that school and pursue a career in it. And so I hope the more educated I become and the more experienced I get, the more I can take back with me and contribute to Armenia and make this program better and better. Well, Nighty, you're a perfect example of someone who took their passion in life and their passion for Hayastan and brought those two together and are doing something about it in terms of uh, contributing to Hayastan and our society there. Um, so, you know, we look forward to following your guys's work and seeing, you know, where you go with all this. And if you're listening, you know, make sure to go follow and uh, see what they're up to and support Oknushun and other um, organizations helping the dog population in Ayastan. I can only imagine a country of like happy dogs would be a country of happy people as well. So, Nighty, thanks again for being here. This is this is so nice. Yes, yes. Thank you so much. We have we're on Instagram and Facebook, and you can find us at oktushun.org. So, if you want to learn more, uh, go check us out, please. Thanks. You are listening to Haidu Talks, the official podcast of the AYF West. I'm Haig Minasian, and I'm Haru Bird. And we're just a couple of Armenians talking in the world. A couple of Armenians talking in the world.